0: Stand in awe of all that you are. Almighty Creator of the universe, you love each of us, your children, with a love that surpasses our understanding. Lord, we come before you today with hearts in so many different places. Some of us are filled with sorrow, weighed down with burdens seeking to find a glimpse of the hope that you promise. Some of us are filled with joy, excited about all that you are doing and will do. And we know that you, our Father, will meet each one of us where we are. Fill us with your presence, Lord. Lift our faces to you and remind us that you love us with an everlasting love. May you be glorified through our worship and may we be changed by our time here with you. It is in your most holy name that we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Just a couple of things and announcements that are in the bulletin. Um, Regular activities. This next Sunday is Palm Sunday and children will be processing with palm branches and there's information in the bulletin about meeting ahead of the service for that. And also we'll be having a baptism class this week for those who want to be baptized on Easter morning. So if you're interested in that, uh, let me know right away either today or tomorrow, and we'll get the class organized. Before you're seated, take a moment, share what a greeting with others who are here in worship.
2: Scripture reading for this morning is found in John chapter 19, verses 28 through 37. If you would please stand for the reading of the Gospels. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 37. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken And the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth. And he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And, as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. This time, I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. And children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church.
1: spend a few moments praying together. If you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you pray, please come and join me. Heavenly Father, there's much on our hearts as we come today. We know that you care about every burden that we feel. We know that you are at work in the struggles that we're aware of. We know that you're the answer to these needs. And so, in this moment of silence, hear our prayers as we lay out before you the burdens and the needs and the struggles on our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your love that is more than we can truly know. Father, we pray that you will fill our hearts with a new awareness of your love and your mercy as we see it on full display through Christ on the cross. We pray, Father, that you will speak into our souls to know the depth of your concern for us and your grace to us and your mercy in this world. You know the burdens that we bring today. Grief, prayers for healing, prayers for comfort, Prayers for relationships that are broken. Prayers for this world of turmoil and war and pain. And prayers that we, your children, will bear witness to your love and your mercy and your truth in the world that desperately needs you. Father, we pray that your power will be revealed in this world through your Holy Spirit. And we ask, Father, that that you will make us channels of your loving grace and of your truth in this world that desperately needs love and grace and truth. Father, we pray that as your spirit works in us, as we understand more and more the depths of your love for us, we pray that you will empower us to become your sons and daughters that you created us to be, filled with joy and truth. Speak into all of the moments of our lives. As we throw ourselves at your feet, let us be servants who represent you, who love you, who share you. And we pray this, Father, through Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, Father, we are amazed at your love for us. We pray that your love will continue to speak into our lives through your word, through your spirit. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. I am not the most patient driver on the road. I I often get irritated with people who are slow or not doing what I think they should do or doing things that, you know, are dangerous or at the very least are not what I want. So I can relate to the story of the woman who uh, pulled up to traffic light and uh, there was one car in front of her, she was waiting in the looked up and the guy in front of her was on his cell phone as he's waiting at the light and he's messing with papers in the seat next to him and not paying any attention and the light turns green and he's not moving. He doesn't realize that the light turns green. And so she's back there and she's starting to get really irritated and she's pounding on the steering wheel and she's yelling at him and her language is getting more and more colorful about the fact that this guy is not, leave, not moving as the light turns green and she is doing everything in her power to to uh, communicate her frustration and her rising anger at this guy who is so uh, unaware of what he ought to be aware of. And finally, the light turns yellow and she lays on the horn and just keeps yelling louder and louder. And, the, and all of a sudden, the guy realizes and he looks up and he sees the light turn yellow and he jams on the accelerator and races through the intersection, leaving her stuck there at the, red light again one more time. She's so frustrated and all of a sudden she realizes there's something to her left and she turns and looks and staring, she stares into the barrel of a gun being held by a police officer. And he says, ma'am, turn off the car. Take your hands off the wheel. So she does. I mean, she's scared to death. Just says, get out of the car. And she does. And he says, put your hands in the car. And she does. And he cuffs her puts her in the back of his patrol car and takes her to the police station. And she is, you know, fingerprinted, booked, photographed, and put in a cell. And for two hours, she sits in the cell. And when she comes back, about two hours later, another officer comes and gets her, brings her out to the booking desk, and there's the officer that arrested her. And he says, has all of her personal effects. And he says, ma'am, I am so sorry. He said, I was sitting behind you watching all this unravel, unraveled as you were, you know, just screaming and swearing at this guy in front of you and going crazy and I looked down and I noticed that you had a bumper sticker in your car that said, follow me to church and a little ichthu symbol on your bumper and I thought, you must have stolen the car. (laughs) I'm thinking, wow, that hurts. You know, that's painful. You know, sometimes hypocrisy Sneaks up on us and we don't even realize it. And there's something in our minds about the way that we view people who are not doing what we want them to do. People who we're irritated with, we have a tendency, people that we judge, to treat them as though they're not human beings. We treat them in ways that we would never treat someone that we knew, that we were, we were in front of, that we, were, that we had a relationship with. Something in our mind, when we begin to judge people, just sort of turns a switch. And we treat people in ways that we would never think of treating them most of the time. And, and we do this with all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. We get sucked into this idea that we're right they're wrong, and because they're wrong, we have the right to treat them however we want to and you see this going on in the story as the as the crucifixion of Jesus comes to an end as Jesus, Jesus is, is hanging on the cross and he dies and and we're reminded that you know crucifixion is one of the most One of the most excruciating ways to die. The Romans are intentional about the way they do this and why they do it. This is not something private. They crucify people as publicly as possible because they want it to be a deterrent to crime. A deterrent to people who might oppose the state. Who might try to a coup against the state. They want people to know this is what happens to you if you try this stuff. And they, and they make it as painful as possible. And they will often leave people hanging on a cross for days on end. Suffering, agonizing until the animals come and end them. It's a horrifying thing. And so here, here is this scene of Jesus and the two criminals hanging on the cross... And Jesus has already died, but no one knows that yet. And the Jewish leaders come to Pilate and say, Look, we have, tomorrow is Passover. It actually begins at dusk tonight. We really don't want those, those bodies hanging on the cross during, during the Sabbath. And so, we'd like for you to break their legs and end this thing. Now, breaking the legs was really a, a common practice that was used in crucifixion. You know, when, when, you're sit, when you're hanging on the cross, you'd use your legs to hold up your chest, and that would allow you to breathe a little bit better. But once your legs are broken, you have no way to hold yourself up, and it accelerates asphyxiation, and the, and the, and the damage from, from taking a, a club or something and breaking the legs was also traumatic, and, and it was a horrific end. And it would definitely speed up death. What's intriguing to me is that the religious leaders come to Pilate and ask him to do this not because they feel sorry for the people hanging on the cross. Not because they feel twinges of guilt that maybe the way they treated Jesus wasn't right and let's just sort of get rid of that. Not because they want it to be done and over with and let's forget about it. But because it's going to sully their Sabbath worship. And as I read that, I thought to myself, how ironic that that thinking about worship has absolutely no effect on how they view these men suffering on the cross. There is no compassion in them at all. And part of it's because they have this confused idea of what Sabbath is about, about what worship is about. What we're really seeing here is a culmination of what we see from the religious leaders throughout the whole, all the Gospels. And really, if you go into the Old Testament, you see it as well. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus is in the synagogue on a Sabbath. And a man comes in whose hand is withered. And Jesus asks the religious leaders, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? And they don't answer. So Jesus heals the man. And Mark tells us that from that moment on, the religious leaders begin to plot how they might murder Jesus. Because he heals on the Sabbath. In Luke 13, Jesus again is in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And a woman walks in who has been crippled, bent over, unable to stand up straight for 18 years. 18 years she has been like this. And Jesus looks at her and he heals her. It's an amazing miracle. And the religious leaders are irritated. They are upset. And they make that known to people. They're all six days a week. You can do this kind of stuff. That's not what we do on the Sabbath. And the clear message is the Sabbath is not for helping people in need. The Sabbath is for worshiping God. And you see the dichotomy, the duplicity in that kind of mindset. That worshiping God would have absolutely nothing to do with compassion for people. And now we come to this scene at the cross and the religious leaders are once again saying, we want to worship and our worship has absolutely nothing to do with showing compassion to people who are hanging there, suffering and dying. And the the answer is, let's just get rid of those people. You and I wrestle sometimes with compassion particularly toward people that we judge, for whatever reason, unworthy of compassion. And we're all, we all wrestle with that. It might be about different things, but we all wrestle in one way or another, at one time or another, with, with feeling compassion for people that we think don't deserve compassion. It might be related to the social issues of our day. It might be related to lifestyle choices that people make. It might be related to theological differences. It might be related to what we do in the church. And our idea of what the church should be. What we should say. What we should do. What, we should, what this should look like. And it doesn't mean that our lack of compassion means that we're going to. That we want to see people die. Or even to see people Suffer. But there is something in the back of our minds that has that says, "Well, they're just getting what they deserve." I'm not really all that upset that something bad is happening to them because, hey, that's what happens and something in us believes that if people are our enemies if people oppose us if people have different different opinions than we do and we can judge them as wrong something in us feels like we have the right to not show compassion to them to live with a sense of callous indifference toward people and it's certainly what we see here with the religious leaders and it's a struggle in our human nature for every one of us as well. Different levels about different things, but it's part of our sinful human nature. To we, it's hard for us to separate judging people as wrong and still feeling compassion for them. But the scriptures continually call us to be people of compassion Because we worship a God of compassion. How many times in the Old Testament does God say to his people, Who am I? You want to know who I am? What I'm about? You want to understand my nature? I am a God who is patient and loving and kind and full of compassion. I'm a God who's holy. I'm a God who's righteous. I'm a God who is who has told you what the truth is but i'm also a god of compassion and kindness and forgiveness and grace and love in isaiah's prophecy chapter 51 he's talking about what's going to happen to israel that that they're going to face the the exile they're going to face destruction And you come to to the beginning of that chapter and and God says to them through the prophet, I'm going to have compassion on you anyway. Even though you turn your back on me, even though you ignore me, even though you you reject me, I am going to have compassion on you and I'm going to bring you back into this land and I'm going to reestablish you as my people because I'm a compassionate God. And it's not because... You Israel deserve it. It's because of who I am. In Matthew's gospel, we see numerous times where Jesus talks about compassion. He shows compassion. In chapter 9, it says that he looked on the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He looks on people who are, who are not following God. They are not doing what God wants them to do. They have, they have turned away from him. And yet, what's Jesus' response? Well, you're getting what you deserve? No, it's compassion for them. He feels compassion. And when Jesus hangs on the cross and he looks down at those who put him there, Those who put him there clearly, overtly by their actions and those who put him there by their indifference and their silence. And he has compassion on them. That's who God is and that's what God calls us to be. I've been pondering this lately about how we describe our theology, what, what we believe. And often, I think, we have in our minds that compassion and love are the result of what we believe. But I'm becoming more and more convinced that love and compassion are central to what we believe. When we think about, when we think about well, theology, and we think about what do we believe, often It doesn't have anything to do with love and compassion for people. And it doesn't mean that the other statements of theology are unimportant. They are significant. They are centrally important. But right in the middle of them ought to be how we live, how we treat one another, how we view the world. And somewhere in that ought to be reflected what Jesus says summarizes everything that God teaches his people love the lord your god with all of your being and love your neighbor as yourself compassion and something in our minds has has believed that if we worship and it doesn't lead to compassion well No big deal. The reality is, if our worship doesn't lead us to compassion and love for people in need, something is wrong with our worship. Because that is, that's the natural flow of of being with God and of being in the presence of God and being filled with the spirit of God. To be compassionate, to love people, to care about people, whether they are people that we agree with or disagree with, whether they are people who are, who have declared to be our vowed enemies or our friends, to be people whether it's people who take different positions about things or the same position, it's what we do because it's who God is. It's what Jesus does. We're back in the in the eighties when when the HIV and, and, and AIDS epidemic was coming to the surface of our understanding. And, and there was a lot of uncertainty about, about what caused and what transmitted this disease. My, my sense was that for most people in the church, particularly the evangelical church, basically the mindset was this was a disease that was caused and transmitted through homosexuality. And I I listened to people both nationally, voices of the church as well as people that I knew who were opposed, vehemently opposed because of their understanding of this disease were vehemently opposed to AIDS research. And to anything that might might help understand this disease because quite frankly people were getting what they deserve it was appalling and we've come a long way since then but it seems to me that something in our response should have been great compassion of all people in the world compassion for people who are suffering for people who are in need but unfortunately it felt like we were more concerned fighting a social issue than we were showing compassion to people who were suffering and hurting and and showing compassion to people doesn't mean that we stop acknowledging truth and standing up for truth and being committed to truth it's just that they aren't mutually exclusive We can be people who stand tall for truth and still give ourselves in compassion to people who are suffering and people who are in need. And in fact, if we are truly committed to the truth of who God is and to the kingdom of God, compassion will ooze out of us. And it ought to be one of the things that comes out of being people who come together for worship. That because we've gathered for worship, because we've encountered God, because we have sung songs and read scriptures and prayed prayers and joined our hearts together and we've engaged the word, that out of that we leave here with a greater degree and desire to be compassionate to people who are needy and hurting and in pain. Because that's who God is. And maybe our prayer is asking God to make us more compassionate to people in need. Maybe where we are in our struggle, maybe the first prayer we can pray is, God, help me to want to pray for you to make me more compassionate about people in need. Maybe the prayer is, help me to want to want to pray, to be compassionate to people in need. But wherever we begin, to have a heart that desires the heart of God. And I think a lot of it has to do with how we come through, how we view worship. If we are self-centered about worship, we're going to go out being Self-centered people. We learn to be compassionate. We learn to care about other people. We learn to give of ourselves for other people. Out there. By doing that in here. By committing ourselves to each other. Of being together. Of sharing our lives with each other. Of sacrificing our wants for the good of others. For being a part of a fellowship that is continually thinking more about the other people than about myself. Instead of worship being, well, this is what I want, this is what I like, we're thinking, I'm willing to give up what I want, what I like, because it's in the best interest of others who have gathered for worship. And that self-sacrificial spirit here can't help but be seen out there. See, this whole idea of, of worship that leads to compassion is rooted in the cross. It is what we find in Christ who goes to the cross as the ultimate act of worship and gives us life. And you and I are called by Jesus to take up our cross and follow him. And one of the most identifying characteristics of the people of God is compassion and love when it's unexpected, when it's undeserved when it might even be unwarranted. And I'm convinced that God is calling us to be a community of worshipers who embrace radical, revolutionary, Calvary-centered, Calvary-like love and compassion. Because if we don't have love, what do we really have? If we don't have love, in what way do we really look like Jesus? So if you think about the person, the people that you find easy to judge and hard to love, easy to condemn and hard to feel compassion for? Are you willing to make an effort to pray, to ask God to change your heart as I'm asking Him to change mine? In this moment of silence, just ponder what God may be saying to you open our hearts to him. Holy Father, make us people who are so enamored with worshiping you that we love each other, that we're filled with compassion for each other. And that spreads to people and to people groups and to the world in which you lead us. Change our hearts, Lord. Let our worship together make us people that truly desire your heart and desire to look like Jesus. Through Christ we pray. Amen.
0: Please stand and join us.